create lasting change, inspire others, and make a difference. You have joined the Influencers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Donaldson, and each week you will hear from distinguished co-hosts and guests as they share insights into impacting our culture from your neighborhood to the nations. Welcome to the podcast. I've got to admit that we're beginning this recording with a heavy heart. Uh, This morning, we interviewed Pastor Paul Goulet of the International Church of Las Vegas. And think about this. You're pastoring in a city. 200,000 people in your city have lost their jobs seemingly overnight. Half of your church is now unemployed. And Pastor Paul, he shared with us, you know, about the mental health issues that are already, you know, just beginning to emerge like never before. He said, I've been pastoring for over 30 years. I've never had to walk so many people off the ledge as I have in recent days. The magnitude of this economic devastation that's being wrought by the coronavirus This pandemic was laid bare uh, recently uh, when 3.28 million people filed for unemployment insurance. And many experts are saying this could reach over 9 million. So think about that. Unemployment is a well-established risk for suicide. And we're going to talk about that today. I know it's not a pleasant subject, but it's timely. And our guest, Tim Clinton, wrote, Tragically, suicide is a real and terrible reality, and the church is not immune to its touch. Suicide is the tenth leading cause of death in the United States, the second for Americans age 15 to 34. On the average, listen to this, 121 people commit suicide in America every day. One in three people who die by suicide are unemployed at the time of their deaths. And for every one-point increase in unemployment, the suicide rate tends to increase by 0.78, 0.78 points. So what if in America we reach an unemployment rate of 25 to 30 percent, God forbid? Well, we have the right person on our show today to address this, Dr. Tim Clinton. And I've asked my good friend Todd Lamphere, who is the assistant to Paula White with the White House Faith and Opportunity Office, who's also uh, a friend of Tim Clinton's. I've asked him to join me and to introduce Tim and to also help with the interview. Todd, welcome. Thank you, Dave, and uh, thank you for hosting this podcast. And it is a joy and an honor to be able to uh, introduce Dr. Tim Clinton, who is the president of the American Association of Christian Counselors. That's the largest and most diverse Christian counseling association in the world. Dr. Clinton also serves as the executive director of the James Dobson Family Institute and is a recurring host on Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk. It's heard on uh, uh, nearly 1,300 radio outlets every single day. Uh, Dr. Clinton is, uh, is licensed as a professional counselor and as a marriage and family therapist. 
my good friend Tim Clinton is also recognized as a world leader in mental health and relationship issues. And he spends much of his time working with Christian leaders and professional athletes, uh, as well as uh, ministering to the President of the United States. And I'm so grateful, Tim, for your national stance and the way that you have been used of God uh, in our country and in the life of our president. You've authored nearly 30 books, including The Struggle is Real, How to Care for Mental and Relational Health Needs in the Church. And Dr. Clinton, mental health is spiking. Suicide uh, rates are, are spiking. In fact, in Tennessee, uh, this past week, more uh, there were more suicides in the state of Tennessee than from the COVID-19 crisis and, and virus. Tough subject, but how do you address all this? Uh, Dave and Todd, thank you for um, having me. And uh, I know we're going to talk through some difficult uh, subjects and suicide being at the heart of all of it. But let me say this. On a personal level, when, when I drive into work, it's, it's surreal, really. I mean, no one's hardly on the road. Uh, you go by restaurants and people, the, the parking lots are empty. And you, you're, you're pinching yourself and saying, wait a second, the sun's shining, there's grass growing. What in the world has happened to us? Uh, Dave, you were mentioning suicide. I, and my mind meant, went immediately to a story of someone uh, in our locality here who uh, got sideways in a business transaction very visible uh, at the end of the road um, because his mind wouldn't shut off. One of the key things that starts happening with suicidal people is their mind doesn't shut off. It's, it's this rumination piece that kicks in and you, you want to turn it off, but you know the, the amygdala in your brain just keeps firing and you're on hyper alert and you're trying and you're trying, but it won't stop. And eventually it led him to a place where he drove up into the mountains and and ended it, didn't come back. And uh, I, for years, for years and years and years, I taught thousands of, um, of college students, uh, a psychology or relationships class. I would ask them as a part of the class, there would be this moment where we would get to this point where we would talk about suicide and I'd ask everyone in the room, how many of you know of someone close to you who either committed suicide, attempted suicide, or battled significant thoughts of suicide. I'm talking about someone close to you, not someone you heard about, someone close to you. Invariably, we were up in the 95 plus percent. So if you don't think this stuff is real, you're not living in, in this old world, as they say. Um, it is real. And with the extraordinary pressure and stress that you mentioned that we're going through right now, people are afraid. They're not just afraid of finances. They're afraid of a loved one getting this coronavirus. They're afraid of getting it themselves. They're dealing with all kinds of extraordinary stress and pressure financially. They're dealing with, quote, looking at each other, locked down, and trying to figure out how to relate. And they're petrified over their kids and everything. It is, these are unprecedented and extraordinarily challenging times. And so, the very first thing we've got to do is acknowledge where we're at. You know, people often ask me, Tim, if you talk about suicide, won't that, won't that drive people to commit suicide? We're finding, and we're finding that, no, no, no. Stepping into that moment and having those conversations can actually help save someone's life. Uh, because people who are suicidal don't hate life. 
they hate life the way it is, and they don't believe it's going to change. Or there's like nothing they can do. They're, they're boxed in. It's a moment, you all. Tim, are you concerned about COVID-19 and the elevated suicide rates? Where do you see this going? Where do we stop it? Where, where does this go? I, I want to be, um, first of all, I want to be hopeful in this respect. I, I think we have got to begin to have a national conversation around this. I saw where Jack, Pastor Jack Graham from Prestonwood Church in Dallas was on, uh, I think, Fox in Dallas today, this morning. And Jack's openly talking about his own depression and more, his battle. He went through himself. That's the kind of stuff we've got to get after. We need to start having conversations. My people die. Hey, my people perish because of a lack of knowledge for a moment. The church has has been so far behind the curve in talking about mental health. The good news is we're starting to talk about mental health. Um, We need to have these conversations at a whole nother level, Not, not to depress ourselves, but to give each other hope. And not to be Pollyannish, by the way, the, the scary thing right now for me is when people are dealing with stress and anxiety, a lot of people who wrestle with anxiety, they worry about things that aren't even happening yet, or they're living out there in some other place. It's, it's like, it's like a, a fantasy or, or a fictional challenge or something that's out there um, that they're wrestling with in their mind. What's challenging right now is we really have an enemy. We're living in reality. The threat is not just real, it's imminent. That's the challenge here. And so if we don't talk about these issues, people cocoon. They, they press in and they isolate. It's like, it's like letting, Dave, it's like letting your son or daughter go up into their room and lock the door. Who's going to talk to them? Who has the conversation? Do we just let that happen? We can't let that kind of thing happen. You know, I was talking the other day on Todd Starnes' program about kids during these times, and I said, listen, think of kids and think of us as big kids, as adults, going through crisis and trauma in our life. That's certainly what we're going through right now. This is very traumatic. When you have trauma, you lose your sense of safety. Now, what's the antidote to trauma? Relationship. Okay, so we're locked down. We can't do relationships a lot. That's why everyone's starting to talk about how to do relationships at home with your family. And by the way, at a distance through social media and more, we've got to get the relationship piece going. What do you do with a kid, for example, who's struggling? Hey, focus in on togetherness. Don't let them isolate. Don't let them get, if you, if you think by not talking about what's going on to your kids is going to um, protect them, or, or you think they're immune to the problems that you're afraid of, you're, you're completely out of touch with your kids. They're talking to each other. They're up on social media. They're overdosing, and it's consuming them like it's consuming you, maybe at a different level, meaning how they perceive the potential outcomes and more. But at the same time, there's a fear piece there. Togetherness is really important. Hey, the second piece, learn proximity, the beauty of touch. Some people, their love language is touch. But it's think, think of a baseball coach, just for a moment. I got, you got a guy on the mound who's out of control. He can't throw a strike or he's getting pounded. 
walk out to the mound. Coach, who is dialed in or attuned to his pitcher, puts his hand on his shoulder. Why does he do that? To calm him and look him straight in the eyes and say, hey, listen, we've been here before. You know what? And what you do is you talk him down and you get him back in command. It's the same thing I'm thinking about with our kids and about each and every one of us. Is any of this making sense with you guys? Absolutely. Man, absolutely. You know, I had a cousin, a tremendous person, and two beautiful children and grandchildren. And I'll never forget just being at her funeral. She had overdosed on opiates. She didn't hate her life. She just hated the circumstance she was in, and she was trying to escape like you alluded to. Can we talk a little bit more about that? I love what you're saying. Do not let your kids go up and hide. Uh, I do think this is an opportunity uh, for not only our kids, but for all of us to realize that, that the things that are being stripped away, like sports, it could be school, shopping, whatever it might be, those things do not define us. What defines us is that we are children of a loving God, of a compassionate God. Can you share with us, you know, as a parent, what are ways that you can instill that security right now in your kids when everything is just seems so upside down and stripped away? Let me come back to presence just for a moment. Just being at the game is significant. Think about that. They look in the stands for who? Being emotionally present right now, not just physically present, but being emotionally present. Think of this word for a second. Add this to your library if you don't have it. Being attuned to your son or daughter. They're different. We know that. What Zach needs from his dad and what Megan needs from her dad are very different. That means being attuned, and I can only get attuned by what? Spending time with them. Uh, we recommend that parents, it's a pretty exciting piece that we've learned through mental health care. Give 20 minutes a day of command-free special time with your son or daughter. Just hang out with them for 20 minutes a day in their world. Uh, command-free, meaning I can't say, hey, Zach, let's go out and play a game of catch. I just gave him an indirect command. No, no. Spend 20 minutes a day in Zach's life doing whatever Zach wants to do. Go do it, Tim. And when you start doing that, the gifts that come back are unbelievable. We're learning now that the power of presence, the power of presence like that, can actually help a child and parent work through defiance, through challenging other issues in his or her life. You, you, are you following me here for a moment? Mom and dads may say, well, hey, we, we, we spent—no, no, no, not spend time— be attuned to your son or daughter for 20 minutes a day. It's radical. That's what I was talking about with spend time together, learn the therapeutic power of touch, then learn to talk, have communication together. It's interesting, when you begin hanging out with your kids, you know what starts happening? You send a message that they're important to you. Mm-hmm. You send another message to you. You, you you're, you're there 
looking for interaction and dialogue as a part of your presence. You learn, you start learning how to communicate verbally and non-verbally. You, be, you begin to learn what's important to your son or daughter, what motivates them. You begin to have influence. That's why all the research about eating dinner together has become so significant and primary again in our modern day world. People are learning that eating dinner together is incredibly significant for developing healthy kids. It's not the food. Think about this. And this is what I'm trying to say in this mental health chaos that's going on right now. The church and the small groups being connected and more. It's so significant, spending time in God's Word. When you can practice the presence and power of God in your everyday life, it becomes what? Life-changing. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about parenting, and then I'm talking about everyday life. You're seeing the parallels and the connections here? And then the fourth T I often share, and it goes right with what you're saying, dealing with this, this life that's out of control, focused on truth. People who are suicidal have lost their sense of hope because they've lost what's happening in their mind. Paul in Philippians 4.8 said, Whatsoever things are lovely, pure, of good report, and more, learn to what? Think on those things. Tim, it's hard to, quote, do thought-stopping when everything's coming against you. And often, by the way, it's in a reality-based world. That's threatening but I've got to replace that. I've got to do a thought stop in that. I've got to do a thought insertion right here, Dave. I've got to step into that moment and bring truth and light to the darkness. And if I can't get it done, I need to bring someone into my life to help me go there. And God help us to go there. But it's hard again to have to be... Don't be anxious when the bills are going unpaid, when you've lost your job, when it seems like the entire, I mean, it's like a tsunami is hitting us. But yes, we've got to go there. Elohim is our refuge and our strength. He's a present help to him during times of trouble. Therefore, we won't fear. Amen. He's in the midst of it. He's in the midst of it. You see that? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, the Lord has blessed us with technology where we can, if our kids are at school or for whatever reason, they're no longer living at home, uh, we can not only talk with them, we can see them. And uh, I know for me, uh, Todd, as soon as we get done with this interview, I'm contacting each of my kids and spending at least 20 minutes. Without a doubt. Uh, Tim, let's talk about the church. Here you have churches, they're having to call an audible. They're communicating, you know, through Zoom and other different mediums and doing their best to keep their, you know, connected to their flocks. And as one pastor said, even though we have the social distancing does not mean that we don't have the spiritual connection. So what can churches do? The church is the body. It's not the building. And we've got to remind ourselves that um, even when we feel alone, we've, we always have an audience of one. And that God, by the way, has no greater plan than to use people like you and me to be conduit through which he channels his message of hope to others. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He's the father of mercies 
and the God of all comfort who comforts us so that we in turn can comfort others with the comfort we ourselves are comforted by God. When you give of yourself, when you step into the life of another person, I have five sisters. They do a lot more counseling than I do. Often over a cup of coffee, maybe not right now, but they do it maybe over a phone call, a text message, an email, uh, a smiley face, a, a FaceTime call, a verse shared on social. Just think about this. When we step into the life of another person, this is important. It's inherently therapeutic. We have value. We have a place. When you feel like you've lost your face or your place in this world, remember that God, first of all, has not abandoned you. And by the way, um, it's like the old quote from Evie Hill. Uh, Evie used to say this, when God blesses you, when God ministers to you, he rarely has you in mind. He wants to work through you to touch people. Like you said, I'm going to pick up the phone and call my son. I'm going to call my daughter and I'm going to hang out for 20 minutes. Think about what it would do if we would hang out with the Lord for 20 minutes and hear from him, receive from him, practice his presence and his power like never before, and ask him to work through, well, work in me and through me to help you become more like Christ, to help you understand that God has not left you, that God has not abandoned you or us, that he's in the midst of, and the church has got to be that place, meaning the body of Christ. We're praying, you all, we have a little project we're working on right now that I just can't stop talking about. Um, but it's about empowering the body to do the work of the ministry, to step into the mental health insanity that's going on right now. We're asking God to raise up churches and what I'm calling, we're, we're actually now designating as mental health coaches, mental health coach first responders in the church. And God help us in this hour to do that. Tim, uh, let's talk about that new program just for a second, because it seems like it's a resource. It's very tangible, real, um, and immediate resource that churches can take advantage of and that pastors can take advantage of. And that's your Dare uh, to Care program with these mental health coaches. Tell us uh, uh, how they can uh, and how churches and how ministry leaders can grab a hold of this resource. You guys, thanks for the opportunity to do it. Let me, let me, let me tell you, um, so God brought to us a very special initiative. We're calling it the Dare to Care Global Initiative. It really is about empowering the church. Here's the project. We have uh, been blessed through some friends to go out and engage 750 churches, 750 churches, and to train 7,500 mental health coach first responders. Uh, the goal, again, is to train that first line of defense in every community via the church. The church should be the place, Dave, Todd, where people come for help and hope. In other words, reaching out to people who are anchored in God's Word and who, by the way, are attuned to the clinical challenges, the financial stresses or the, the personal stress and anxiety that's going on or the depression and so much more. Be attuned to that. So we built—here's the project. It's amazing— we put together a 40-hour, there are three courses, it's a total of 40 hours of video training featuring some of the very best mental health ministry experts in the world. 
And what we're doing in this project is we're taking this three courses on demand, 24-7, 365, to 750 churches. And we're asking God to give us a point person in each church who would help steward this trust, this gift. By the way, it's a gift. In other words, it's a gift to the 750 churches and to train up to 10 or so church members or first responders, mental health coach first responders in each church. Am I making sense so far, you guys? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So in these churches, we're asking a leader. I talked to Jensen Franklin last night. Churches like Free Chapel, uh, Prestonwood Baptist Church out of Dallas, the great church down there. These are our anchor churches who are on board with us. We're starting training May 1st. And our goal, again, is to train 7,500, 7,500 mental health coach first responders. Here's what happens. When they finish this program, they actually qualify to become a certified mental health coach first responder. What's interesting is this evidence-based, biblically-based program is being led by a friend of mine named Dr. Matt Stanford out of Houston, Texas. He, he has launched an initiative in the city of Houston. It's massive. He's doing this. We put it on video to take it around the country and eventually around the world. But here's the deal. When people go through this, they become certified, and they become that front line of defense in their local church. And it's not to replace therapy, but it's to deal with, watch this, the incredible demand that's surging for mental health services and the lack of providers. And so these people in certain states actually even qualify to get third-party reimbursement for Medicaid, Medicare services, if you can believe that. God is using this, and this is the very first evidence-based peer counseling, mental health coach program in the country, the first ever. And people, how much does it cost? We're saying this, it's tuition free. Those first 7,500 students, those first 750 churches, it's a tuition free program. I've been sharing a little bit about this. It's exploding already. And uh, our goal again, we want to get the 750 churches locked in first, and then we're asking them to shepherd and steward the training of these students in their church community. Outstanding. You know, 50% of the pastors said they were ill-equipped uh, for their ministry in that church and community. And that was before COVID-19. So this is so timely. How can we sign up for this, uh, Tim? If you want your church to be considered as one of the 750 charter churches, it's pretty easy. Just go to Light University, that's L-I-G-H-T, lightuniversity.com, lightuniversity.com forward slash mental health coach, mental health coach. There's a form there to fill out and say, yes, we'd like our congregation to be considered as one of the first 750 charter churches, this tuition-free program to train up mental health coach first responders in our local church community. And hey, you guys pray with us. And I mean this, pray with us that God would use this in a special way. We believe this, that pastors, they know people who have the natural gifts People often come to them asking for help or prayer and more. Uh, they want to step into these moments of helping encourage people. Maybe it's over a cup of coffee, whatever it is. This is what we want to do. We want to train them in a meaningful, evidence-based, biblically-based program. It's pretty robust, you guys. It's pretty exciting. I love it. And we will <laughs> post that as well at our CityServe website, cityserve.us. Uh, Todd? Any closing comments? 
Tim, I really believe that God's just uh, given you a pathway and insight to be able to, uh, for the body of Christ to really fulfill Ephesians chapter four, where he gives uh, uh, pastors uh, for the church to, in order for them to be able to do the work of the ministry. And, and thank you so much for that. And look forward to this, it blowing up the lightuniversity.com and uh, and to sign up there. Would you pray for us, uh, Dr. Clinton, as uh and pray for our nation and pray for people as they uh, work through the process of coping with this crisis. God, we, um, we are so in need of you. On our own, God, we can do nothing. And God, um, you know my heart. I cry out and ask you, God, to lead us. We pray for protection and provision. Lord, I pray for power, spiritual power, as never before. God, in this hour, would you encourage all those who are listening? Remind, remind us all of your presence and your power. And God, I know you've called us all to soul care, to reaching out. God, um, give us the strength to do that. God, do a work. Do it in such a way that... Only you can get the glory and credit for it all. And God, we're so grateful that you love us. We're so grateful for your grace, your mercy, your tenderness like a loving father toward us. And God, help us to receive that. Help us to um, know what it means to feel that embrace from you, especially, Lord, in this hour. And I pray right now for all of our families. I pray right now for our churches. I pray right now for our president, the administration, and all those who are leading in authority. God, be with them. Give them wisdom and grace and direction in this hour. God, help us. We claim you, that you are our refuge and our strength. Help us to not fear and to learn to be still and know that you are in the midst of it all. I pray that in the strong and matchless name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Clinton. I mean, that was powerful. And Thank you, guys. And Todd, uh, so good to be with you again. God bless you all, and thank you. I hope you enjoy listening to Influencers on the Charisma Podcast Network. Join us next week for another thought-provoking episode. And remember to use your influence to move people closer to Jesus.